everybody's gotta eat. And nobody likes getting sick. That's why heroes toil in the shadows, keeping your food safe at all points, from the supply chain to the point of sale. Join industry veterans Francine L. Shaw and Matt Ragusi for a deep dive into food safety. It all boils down to one golden rule. Don't eat poop. Don't eat poop. Hello, Francine. Hey, Matt. It's been a while. How are you? Good. I've had some fun rereading your book. Yeah, I guess you kind of are rereading it. You saw it in its raw form before it was really... I saw it in its Google Doc form. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to say before it was even a manuscript. You know, when somebody said the word manuscript, you have to write a manuscript. I'm like, I can't write a manuscript. (laughs) The word manuscript totally freaked me out. Really? The word manuscript freaked you out? Yes. As much writing as I do when she said, okay, we need to write a manuscript. I'm like, that just totally freaked me out. But um, writing for me was actually very easy. Okay, so let's give a little context. We've been talking about Francine's book, I think since we've done the podcast, and you yeah. started writing this book, what, like three years ago? It's, it's not been quite that long. It, was, it seems like it though. <laughs> it's been um, two years ago. In January, it'll be two years ago. And then you were stalking book publishers because I remember being there. You were in my booth, which was across from the, uh, you were just sitting there stalking publishers for food safety. Well, uh, <laughs> it wasn't quite that bad. I had actually emailed her. <laughs> I had actually emailed her and we had had a conversation through email because she had been recommended to me and we had talked. We'd been introduced through Hal King and we had talked. So, yeah, I I mean, I kind of was because I was waiting for her to come back to her booth. And I don't know, maybe she was avoiding me. (laughs) (laughs) Who would avoid you? Never came back. Your book just doesn't fit the category as... which she could have very easily said to me, you know, it didn't fit their profile, their category, whatever, which was fine if it was a different genre. But she never did email me back. So after that, I just decided to self-publish, which, you know, after talking to Darren and, you know, since how that, that, you know, may have been my best route to go. Oh, given the circumstances. Well, it's definitely your best route in terms of being able to get the most amount of people to, to read your books. That publisher, they don't, pu- I don't think they publish a book for less than 50 bucks. It's like a textbook publisher. Well, and they're, they're educate. They work in the educational market, which is good. Um, but the book is really not, while it is, there are educational aspects throughout the book. And I think it would be great for anybody that is a health inspector or wants to go into that field and people that work into that field. It's not a textbook, you know, it would be great side material, for yeah. a class, you know, if a teacher wanted to assign extra reading material, I think it would be great for something like that. But um, it's not a textbook. No, it's not a textbook at all. In fact, why don't you explain a little bit what it is? So it's who watches the kitchen, and probably it's like a book of short stories of different different pl- things that you've done, different crazy things that you've seen in your job as a health inspector. Would that be a good way of explaining it? Yeah, it's a combination of kind of that and a memoir. There are stories in there about, you know, there's a little bit about my backstory in there without getting too involved, but, you know, how I ended up in the industry. Some stories about me and, you know, who I am, how some stories about my childhood, how I evolved over the years, 
you know, what the industry was like for me as a woman when I first entered the industry and how things have changed over the years and some of the things that we have as females have dealt with. There's not a lot of, there's more today than there were, but even still, we work in a male-dominated industry. I work with a lot of very respectful men yeah. and my peers are all very, you know, I don't deal with that with the people that I work with. I just am very, very fortunate today, but there was a time when I did. And, you know, if you don't have or develop a strong enough personality to deal with those situations, you can very easily be pushed out of, of any field, not just this field, but of any, any job or any field. And there are some stories about those situations and how I dealt with those situations in there, how I overcame them. Um, you know, even as a health inspector, you know, one time I had to deal with a situation where some things weren't being done properly. And I turned around to walk away after giving them time to correct the situations. I was going to come back and reinspect. And one of the men said, she's, she's a bitch on a power trip. <laughs> and I'm just like, turned around and I'm like, I'm going to pretend I didn't hear that and just turn back around and walked away. I mean, what do you say? <laughs> yeah, because if you really were that on a power trip, you would just shut them down. Like, I could okay, shut them down for the day, but I didn't. Yeah. I was giving them time to correct it. I'll come back and reinspect, which took more time out of my day. I was getting paid extra money to do that. Yeah. But that's not what I wanted to do. If I was indeed a bitch on a power trip, in air quotes, I would have shut them down for the day. They'd have been done. And I wouldn't have given them that opportunity. So there are some stories like that in there. There are some horrendous stories of you know things that I've seen over the years situations that occurred, you know, I, you know, from thinking I was going to get locked in a freezer to um, thinking I might get shot. <laughs> and I laugh because, yeah, if, A, it's, you know, my personality and the way I deal with things, but it was a very serious situation. I mean, at that, that place, I couldn't go back in without a police escort for the rest of my tenure in that position. Yeah. I mean, it just wasn't safe. So I think I think the book is it's a good read. It's it's a fun read. It's a fast read. It's not a large book, but it really does. It's really it's really intriguing. So if anybody wants to know what what goes on as a health inspector, um, all the different things that you've seen, well, not all the things that you've seen, but some of the the top stories that you've seen, and what what could go wrong in a restaurant in terms of food safety? I think this is a good book. And you're right. I forgot about the the stories in the beginning, kind of about your life, which um which is very brief, right? I mean, you're not going into great detail about no, no, no. but it does kind of get to get to know you a little bit better as well. But yes, great read, guys. Go on to Amazon and buy the book. Um, yeah. Do you know how many copies you've sold already? I don't. I don't. I could go on and look regularly, but I I just, I don't. I mean, it fluctuates up and down where it, it is ranking. It's not bestseller status yet. <laughs> <laughs> no. Right up there with Harry Potter. But, you know, it was very fun to write. I mean, it's, you know, I did it like I do everything. I try to make it as fun as I could, you know, about a serious topic. But it was a lot of fun to write. I could write a dozen of these with different stories. And I want to say that, you know, while the stories in here, some of them are very extreme, 
there are very good operators out there. This these stories aren't typical. But again, it's some, you know, people want to know what they couldn't get into and what can happen. It's in there. Even farmers markets, there's a story about a farmers market in there. That's yeah, that was that was, Which almost got the title of your book, but it sure did. I was hoping that that was going to get the title. Hal Hal said no. <laughs> he discouraged it. He wrote my foreword, so <laughs> I um I thought I would listen <laughs> out of respect. <laughs> and then um, I wrote yes, thank you. Have, a recommendation. Um, the um you wrote the no, it's not. My, why's my mind blank right now? You and Don Smith wrote testimonials. Testimonials, yes. On the back, and what is funny is while we do the podcast now, and you know we're, I don't want to sound like I went around asking friends to write my testimonials because that isn't necessarily the case. We didn't know each other quite as well whenever you wrote that testimonial for that. I mean, we know each other much better now. We've known each other for a long time. But you mean you and I were talking to each other regularly on a weekly basis? Not on a regular basis when you wrote this. <laughs> we were talking to each other weekly when you wrote, you know, the testimonial for the back of my book. It wasn't like, <laughs> can you do me a favor? <laughs> write a great testimonial. While I did ask you to write the testimonial, it, we weren't talking to each other, you know, weekly at that point. <laughs> So, yeah. No. Yeah. And if you read my testimonial on the back, it it kind of makes sense. Reading her book and then my testimonial, why our podcast is the way it is. (laughs) There's, I don't know how far you are in here, but um, if you, if you read, when you read, you'll find, you'll find yourself in there. Really? Yeah. When you finish reading it, I know that you read the part, you read the, um, I know that you read the manuscript and you read it before it was in a book, but yeah. Cool. Okay, well, we have an update for you because our last podcast, we talked about the crisis in Calgary with the E. coli outbreak with the, the, the kids there that got sick from their daycare center. And we batch things because Francine and I can get kind of busy. We usually record on a weekly basis, but Francine had to go out of country for a couple of weeks. She lives such a terribly sad life. What were you doing for the last couple of weeks, Francine? <laughs> I was on vacation. <laughs> I say that like there's a problem with that. And I have not been on a vacation in like since before COVID. My husband and I went away. We went on a cruise. Yeah. She was sending pictures. It's gorgeous. I am not a cruise person per se. We went because my husband had never been on one. I have. And I felt like everybody should experience it at least once. And my travel agent chose this cruise line based on something that I had, a comment that I had made to him. And I was amazed. This ship was like a a resort on the water. Yeah. They had people standing at the buffet watching the buffet line. And we didn't eat at the buffet, but maybe once or twice my, well, my husband got food at the buffet. I'm not a buffet person, um, obviously with what we do. Wow. Um, you don't, you don't want to replicate Noro man on a ship? Uh, no. Not at all. Um, so anyway, but I walk was, you notice as you're, well, we're on our way through there, they had people, you got hand sanitizer on your way in and there were people standing at the buffet, every single line at that buffet, watching what was happening. 
at the buffet. And if anything happened that shouldn't, they corrected it by like taking the bowls and the tongs away. Oh, you mean like people like employees watching or managers? Sorry, yeah, staff members. I'm sorry. Yeah, staff members. I was so impressed. I've never, ever seen anything like it. Well, they have, uh, they've had a lot of issues on cruise lines. um, Well, and you're a captive audience. You get, you get some sort of uh, norovirus or anything like that on that ship. It spreads like wildfire and then they have to shut the thing down. It does. But if we talk relatively about the number of people that go on cruises and the number of outbreaks there are, I mean, yes, there are outbreaks, but again, I've gone on several with a friend of mine that likes, likes to go. She'll call me and say, will you go with me? And I have I have gone with her. I've never seen anything as detail-oriented as the way these folks were paying attention to their buffet in, in the awesome. buffet area. It was amazing. So Back to the thing. So we last episode, we had talked, it was actually a couple weeks ago, that we, the last time we did a podcast, a couple weeks ago, and we did the Calgary school. And at that time, I think we said there was something like 150 kids that got sick. And it there, was rapidly. In, yeah. In a couple, it was like on a daily basis, it was like a stock market ticker. Uh, Bill Marler's blog, which I think it's just called Marler blog, on a daily basis was updating the number of kids sick in the hospital, all this stuff. And it climbed astronomically to 351 yeah, 351 is the final number at this point. 37 were hospitalized, 22 children diagnosed with hemolytic uremic syndrome. Um, I believe there was one adult in that number of hospitalizations. Yeah. So I I just don't understand how something, I, I mean, I do know how it happens. You know, yeah. with the field that we're in, we know all too well how these things happen. I don't understand how they were unlicensed at daycare. Yeah. I mean, I've been driving down the street and found restaurants that were operating that weren't on my list. And it's like, how, where'd they come from? And they didn't have a license. They just decided to open up and operate. Wait, are you serious? Wow. Why? Well, I don't know why I'm surprised by that. A guy ran out the back door. I went in the front door. He ran out the back door. But what I don't understand is their daycare facilities. How were yeah. that many children and that many daycares? 2,000. They have 2,000 kids in their 11 daycares. I don't understand. Yeah. It's sad. They're, as of today, uh, so there's been 351 seconds, which is crazy. That is what? Almost 20%. That is uh, 35% of their kids got sick. That is crazy. And there are still kids in the hospital now, today. There are going to be many, many kids that are going to be on dialysis or have kidney problems for the rest of their lives. Luckily, no one, luckily, no one died. And I was just going to say, they're so fortunate that nobody died. This happened years ago. Can you imagine how many children would have died. Oh, that is such a good point. Because we have technology today that we didn't have years ago. And we have the ability to determine what the illness today is that we didn't, to diagnose today that we didn't years ago, and to treat today that we didn't years ago. If this had happened in 1993, can you imagine? There would be a lot of kids dead. 37 of those 350. So yeah, about 15% 
got sick and of the kids got sick. Sorry, not 30%, 15%. And um, 37 confirmed secondary cases. So secondary cases, people who got sick because of their sick child or their sick brother or sister or whatever. And they're still trying to figure out what it is. They don't have full conclusive evidence, but they assume that it is the meatloaf that they served and also the veggie loaf that they served. So one is obviously vegan or whatever, but they don't have any samples of that. So that's it's inconclusive, but that's the expectation. That's what they expect it came from. And right. uh, but there's no there's no product left to sample or test or whatever. So I kind of kind of lay this out for me, Francine. How would someone get sick from that through E. coli? on a massive level? Were they just not cooking it thoroughly? Before we started, I said this. First of all, we have two different products. So was there a cross-contamination issue in the kitchen? Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Did they not cook it properly? You know, was it a utensil problem? I think I read somewhere that the dishwasher wasn't cooking or wasn't cooking. Oh my God. Wasn't washing at the right temperature? Was that, you know, I don't know. Was it, they would have had to not, if it's a cooking issue, <laughs> they would have they didn't cook one giant meatloaf. Right. You know what I mean? Right. Now they, they, they could have, what they probably did was mixed one giant meatloaf, one giant veggie loaf, like mixed it all and then put them into loaf pans and cooked them that way. Again, we're assuming cause we have not looked in the kitchen. We do not know their processes, but they most likely had one big mixing bowl that they mixed all that together with. You don't think that stuff came in pre-made? Well, that's a good question. I don't know. Well, we do know there was a mixer, right? Like in the inspections, the yeah. mixer. See, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either. If it came in pre-made, it would be less, it'd be more expensive than if they just bought the product themselves and then mixed it up in their, their central kitchen. Well, they have, don't forget, they have all that employee labor that they have to pay to chop, slice, dice. Yeah. So that's why restaurants have gone to shredded and pre-cut produce is to save employee labor. Oh, totally. Yes. So it may not be more expensive to bring it in pre-cooked. Yeah, I, you're you're absolutely correct. That's assuming that they are tracking the labor so they know what their costs are. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're, we're just throwing things out there. We don't know because we don't have enough details. So we don't right. have enough. But here's, here's, the here's why I don't think it was a pre-made issue and why I think it was – why. I, Here's the, the reason why I don't think it's a supplier issue and why I think it was the central kitchen's issue is if it was a supplier issue, like the meatloaf itself was just fully 100%. I mean, we're talking about it had to have had a ton of E. coli in it to get all this people sick and not cooked well enough. Because even if you're cooking the meatloaf, I mean, either you're cooking the meatloaf a lot of that should have been cooked off, even if it's still pretty rare. And so then it had to have sit for a while. Something happened within that one kitchen. And why I think it's not a supplier issue and it's the kitchen issue is we're not seeing other outbreaks in other kitchens right. that match this E. coli. And so when, when there's a supplier issue that is this pervasive, that got this many people sick in these 11 locations... You would think that if it was a supplier issue, it would have gotten other people sick in other locations as well. They could have matched that uh, DNA of that particular E. coli to that one supplier, and 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 then it would, 
then there would have been more conclusive evidence. You wouldn't think it would be isolated to just that daycare, just that daycare organization. Just that central kitchen for those 11 daycares. Right. So why didn't anybody at the other day, there's one, I think one or two daycare facilities, like subsets or whatever that weren't impacted. There are so many questions. Again, we don't have enough details. We we just don't have enough details. These are questions that, you know, we would ask. I almost feel like there it had to be a combination of things. Like Oh, 100% had to be a combination. You and I talk about this all the time that it's like a, a food safety outbreak like this. Foodborne illness outbreak like this is like um, losing a baseball game when you are way ahead. The only way to lose a baseball game when you're ahead by multiple runs is a whole series of errors that happen all in the same game. And it, it seems like this is the case. Like there must have been a series of errors that happened within that kitchen that that created this problem. It's like a, a perfect storm of errors is what. Yeah. Perfect storm of errors. There was a father that made his child was um, impacted by this. And I had posted something. I thought I posted it on LinkedIn, but I can't find it. was last night, but I can't, I can't find it. Um, I think it was a response. Somebody asked me a question and it was a response to their question, um, but I can't find it, you know, but basically the father was saying, it's a shame that, it, you know, like everybody says, it's a shame that it comes to a tragedy such as something like this for people to take a look at our food safety system and discover that something needs to be done about it. Of course, he, you know, he's talking about the Canadian, Yeah, not that, you know, we have anything up on them. No. Because we don't. This could have happened one, you're absolutely correct. This could have happened in the United States. This could have happened in Europe. This could have happened in, in any place. And so this is why I think it's um the, the person who wrote the book Poisoned. This would be a fantastic follow-up to that. Why? Poisoned itself, the book, is very different than the Netflix episode. You and I have already discussed this. But Poisoned itself almost is like, it's like a crime novel. It's not a crime novel, but it's like a crime novel in in its format, right? It was really laying the framework, trying to figure out the reasons why, and then the aftermath of the lawsuit going through the process. Taking this one scenario and doing an in-depth review and doing interviews and trying to really figure out what happened and writing a book about this would be very, very beneficial for the industry. So I don't, I don't know if you've read this or not, but there's an E. coli outbreak right now in Illinois at a school in Illinois. Now it's not near this extreme, right? but in the States. So, yep. and what's the one with, uh, with the university, is that university of Kentucky or something like that? If I'm wrong, please don't sue me, University of Kentucky. There is a, a university somewhere in the United States uh, that had a major outbreak as well, and a bunch of kids got sick. It was on, uh, I can't remember. But yeah, oh my gosh. We, again, about the content thing. It's like you and I are posting about a new outbreak. Do you, What is it with fall? Do you think there's something to do with fall and outbreaks? Yeah, I do. Kids are all going back to school. Uh, yeah i think also product is weaning like you're getting the ends of the product too maybe that helps there's a couple things kids are all going back to school everybody's moving back indoors yeah i mean norovirus is prevalent from i think it's october to march and there's just a combination things that impact we spend more times together in close quarters yeah 
So the secondary infections become more. Because we see a lot more outbreaks in the fall as well with like produce. <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't mean to laugh. I was going to say something sarcastic. I was going to say in your household. You held yourself back? <laughs> in your household with all the children? Or <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm not sure where you were going with that. And then it took a while for you to say produce. So I was like hanging on there. <laughs> a Gucci outbreak or. Oh man, it's bad. I you always feel bad it. when my face starts to like smirk because it's like, <laughs> what we're talking about is not funny. But in my head, there's, there's, there's something happening, not related to what's happening outside. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it, and I, I, I can't be the only one, but you know, we're, we've been in the industry. We've been dealing with food safety for, I, I've been doing it for 20 years. You've been in the food industry way longer. Food safety, probably about the same amount of time though. You know, you're, we're inundated with all these outbreaks, right? It doesn't matter when it, ha- when it has to do with kids or college students. I don't know. It hits me differently than, than anything else. I think children and elderly impact me. I mean, not that, again, everybody doesn't, or, you know, you see the mom with a bunch of young children or a father with a bunch of young children. Those, like, you know, we talked about the woman who stopped and got nachos on her way home. She stopped at the convenience store and got nachos on her way home and never returned to normal, her normal life. You know, parents, we, we know people who have lost children and- college kids who one day are, you know, having a normal life. And again, never, some of them never return to normal. And then you have your parents who go out to eat or buy something at the grocery store and they eat it and it kills them or makes them terribly sick. We should be able to assume that the food we eat is safe. We're paying for this food. Our suppliers, our distributors, our restaurants, Everybody has an obligation to make sure that the food that they're serving us is safe. They shouldn't be changing date labels. They shouldn't be taking shortcuts. They shouldn't be operating without license. We should be able to trust them to make sure that the food they're doing, they're serving is safe. I mean, it's just, that's the way it is. What if it was their mother or their child? If you wouldn't serve it, I used to tell my employees this. And you have to be careful with saying if you wouldn't eat it yourself because there are people yeah. out there who eat a lot of things. 100%. Serve or cultures that just don't understand either. If you wouldn't serve it to your family or your child or your grandmother, then you shouldn't be serving it to the public. I don't care what yeah. you do at home. I, you might drop it on the floor and eat it. I don't care. Do what makes you happy. You have no right to sell that or serve it to somebody else. I agree. I, you know, it'll be interesting to see what I I didn't do the research on this prior to our episode, and now I'm kicking myself because I didn't even think about it. Was what is the tort? What does tort look like in Canada? Right? Because we're looking at in, in the articles are coming out now. Now that the government's getting involved in this in Canada, they're going to be fined, right? And you know, they're going to be they're going to court to deal with these fines. And the I'm looking at the fines. The fines are like one hundred twenty thousand dollars. I'm like, why? Wait, what? That that doesn't seem like a lot, particularly since the government stepped up. Alberta, the province, stood up and and is paying two thousand dollars per child to help them find another daycare. So thirteen hundred kids—that's like two point five million dollars that the province is having to pay these families. 
which is awesome that they stepped up and did that. Oh my gosh, it's, that's truly awesome. But then I'm like, okay, well, where, what, what is the, what, what is the daycare? What does that company look like? Yes, there's the fine of 120,000, but what is the, the tort look like in Canada? Is it like the United States where, you know, basically they'd be sued to oblivion? I'm not sure. Cause in, in the United States, this company would go bankrupt. There'd be no coming out of this. I mean, they, they could, they could come back and change their name or whatever, but that institution itself would disappear because it would go bankrupt. But I don't know what Canada's like. Do you know? Well, my friend Google here. Um, <laughs> Canadian tort law holds anyone liable who causes damage to you or your property. The primary function is to compensate people who have suffered loss or an injury. Everyone has a legal duty to uphold the law. A tort claim is made when somebody breaches the legal duty. It doesn't say in any of this whether there are maximums like you know some of the jurisdictions in the states have maximums that you can sue for so okay so so just looking at that though oh in in canada's canada's medical system is very different as well so maybe the costs associated with medical care are very different than they are in the states as well but basically the way you wrote that is they'll be compensated for whatever type of medical expenses, whatever type of expenses that they occurred because of this and ongoing expenses for Medicare, yeah, medical aid. So like the people who have dialysis and all that stuff, they'll have to pay for it. This as common torts include assault, battery, damage to personal property, conversion of personal property and intentional inflict of emotional distress. Those are the common torts. But I mean, would this fall under intentional infliction of emotional distress? I don't know. I'm not a Well, I don't think it's intentional. Well, no, it isn't intentional. But the fact that they didn't have, they didn't have a license. I am right in that, right? I mean, it said they didn't have a license. Yeah. I don't know if all of them did, but yes, it it was kind of unclear in the, the articles that we read. I mean, somewhere there was a lack of a license at some point. They certainly were not doing their due diligence. Yes, well, definitely. And you saw that with their inspections. Right. Based on what has been published with the inspections and things like that, it did not appear that they were doing their, it did not appear they were doing their due diligence. So if they had the knowledge, I mean, no, it wasn't intentional, but. So there is a whole negligence clause in Canada tort as well. So yeah, this would fall underneath there. So they do have similar, I'm, I'm sure ours is way crazier. Because um, our legal system tends to be like the most insane internationally, but uh, negligence is definitely covered under this. So yeah, it looks like they're probably the, the fines are going to equal one hundred twenty. Looks like one hundred twenty thousand dollars, but the um, but the tort side will be significantly higher. So was that a fine for just one? item or was that the overall general fine? Again, I'm not quite sure. I've read like a dozen articles and they all say the same. They're all quoted the same way, but it's... So the city of Calgary announced Wednesday that Fueling Mines Inc. and its two directors will face 12 charges under municipal business bylaws and a total of fines up to 120000 Well, and then the next question that I have is, can they be held, the people in charge be held personally responsible? I don't know that either. So in the U.S., like with our food safety laws, yes. Right. That's what I mean. In Canada, did they? I don't. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Mm, More to come. So they have not, the owners 
have not made any type of public announcement or any type of public discussion about what went on, what would you advise them to do? Would you advise them to keep quiet like this? No. No, me neither. No, not at all. They should have said something by now. They should have, they should be out there saying something and no comment is not what they should be saying. No. They should be out there expressing their apologies and their empathy towards the situation, their sympathy, and telling the communities and the parents that they're doing what they can to get to the bottom of it, to correct it. And, you know, they may not know what the answer is right now, but we're doing everything that we can to figure it out. We're going to cooperate with the authorities. We're working together. And if you don't know what to say, my God, hire a PR firm to help you. Hire somebody to help you. Oh, and that's then, what I was going to add. PR, I would, I would have um, legal PR, yeah, PR and legal. I would have those two. I'd have those two people, and I'd be paying them what they're worth to write up what my response is and how to answer a series of questions, like a couple dozen questions, and and memorize those responses and then say them and but show empathy while saying it too. But yeah, I would I, definitely, I, I, I say that to my clients is yeah, PR, PR and your attorney. So you're not doing anything, not saying anything that's going to make you look worse or saying anything that's going to incriminate you in any way, shape or form. Right. But this doesn't help when you don't say anything. Well, and nor should they admit liability. No. You know, nor should they admit liability, they at minimum need to appear like a concerned corporation, you know, and like that they genuinely care about what's happening out there by saying nothing. It it just looks really bad. It looks really, really bad. And they need to really, really important, put one person in charge of communicating with the media. And it needs to be somebody that can communicate properly and do the job correctly because not just anybody is capable of going out there and dealing with that pressure and dealing with it eloquently, I guess, is how I want to say what I'm trying to say. I keep thinking back to Chipotle and that guy's interview on the Today Show. That was a mess. The CEO who lost his job over it. He was not the person that should have been out there. And not that he didn't know what was happening, but maybe they would have been better off to hire somebody or to put somebody else in the company is the face. Right. And and um, going back to like even the Jack in the Box CEO, when he was being interviewed and he was like, yes, it looks like we didn't cook the hamburgers the right temperature. While that was accurate, he probably shouldn't have said that. <laughs> Right. He should have, he should have been because he incriminated himself in this company. And that, that goes back and forth. I mean, when Marler or uh, Darren Detweiler gets interviewed, they bring that quote up over and over again. And so, yeah, but going in there and showing empathy and saying, like, hey, you know, all the children in my daycare, I think of them as my, my family. And I hire staff that think of those children as their children. And we want this to be a place at which parents feel safe bringing mm-hmm. their children there. And we still don't know what happened. And we are definitely going to look into it because we never want to see this happen again. And I'm not sure if we're going to be able to, 
to make it through this as an organization because the the, the trust seems to have you know no, no longer be there with with the families that are there. But this would be amazing for people to learn from this. So we're going to figure out everything that we can so that other kids like this don't have to go through the same thing. And we are going to open ourselves up for the government inspections inspectors. We are going to open ourselves up for anybody who wants to know more information. Unfortunately, I can't give you information now in detail, but I just want to say, like, this is so sad. And from the bottom of my heart, I can't believe this happened. And whatever happens to us financially and as a corporation, we're going to be able to handle that in some way, shape, or form. But that doesn't upset me as much as the trust that has been lost to the families that we love. That is something they could have said. It doesn't incriminate them. And if it came out like truly honest, then it would really help out a lot with these parents that are going through grief. Oh my gosh. And 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 not just the parents that are dealing with the kids that are sick and the families and the kids that are dealing with the, with the sick, but all the other parents that had their children there that might be going through survivor guilt. You know, like there's so right. much psychological damage that has been done with this, not just the physical illness that happened, but the psychological damage that some sort of empathetic quote like that could have really helped out. Well, you know, and it's, it's just astounding to me that they haven't said anything, you know, while they have to be very careful what they do say, it's astounding to me that they have done, they've said absolutely nothing. And if they don't know what to say again, hire somebody to help you, you know, hire somebody. Hire somebody to tell you what to do. <laughs> yeah. It's just, it's just, yeah. I think this just got so big so fast that it just got too scary and overwhelming. And they're they're I'm sure that their attorney that they that they hire, because I'm I'm assuming they that they have an attorney, just really was like, you know what, we gotta circle the wagons and nobody talks at all because this is so big. So a couple things. I think companies often do, they'll do a, like a live, oh my God, press release, not press release, a live press conference, often have a press conference and they do it live. There's a reason they do it live rather than off the air. And those aren't edited. You get it out there, you say your own words and you, you talk to the community before the snippets get out there and before everything gets really edited, a a huge learning experience for me. When I was 25 years old, I just opened a brand new restaurant, brand new. We were allowed at that point to talk to the media. The local, very small town newspaper came to interview me about opening this brand new store. We did the interview we talked about the restaurant. We talked about the expectations. We talked about just a variety of things. Real good interview. We were done. The interview was over. Now, anybody that's been listening to this podcast and you know how sarcastic I am, we're done. We're having a conversation. I knew this guy. He says, so when you go out to eat, is this where you bring in, bring your family? And I said, are you kidding? I eat this crap five days a week. It was a joke. It was <laughs> a joke. I worked for a national corporation. He printed that. He printed it. Yeah, not good. I nearly got fired. <laughs> yeah. I nearly got fired. Be very, very careful what you say. On oh, the air, off the air, 
be very careful because I got him to retract it. It was, yeah, it was a joke. I was kidding. I mean, my kids, I took the food home from the restaurant. My husband brought the kids down there to eat. It was totally off the cuff, smart Alec comment. And and that's where, that's where, when you were saying press conference, I don't think a press conference would have been good because the press is going to be answer, asking a ton of questions that he definitely, that these uh, owners definitely don't want to answer. And then you don't look good if you're not answering the questions or if, if there was a press release, they would have had to have been really well-trained, like spent a whole day answering all these questions. And then after that, the problem becomes when you're trained yourself like that is, is actually looking empathetic while being scripted. It's very difficult to do. So I was just going to say there are cases, and, and I know of them, where they have actually worked with the PR people to do the press conferences like that for that very reason, because you you just have to expect any type of question that's going to come. Yep. And you have to be able to answer those questions and remain empathetic and sympathetic. So I guess, you know, each each situation is unique and each situation is different. So yeah. in their case, it, it probably it would not have been the best the best case. Maybe. But maybe. in some situations it is in some situations it is a good idea to do, yeah. I believe. It is a good idea. I don't think with as fast as things were happening and without knowing what was going on and nobody having any answers, I don't think in their situation it would be. Yeah. Okay. Well, I would say let's, we, we put a bow on this, but I don't think so. I think there's going to be, I mean, this is one of the largest outbreaks ever. I mean, it, luckily it's not in the United States, but Canada is like, what, our brother? I mean, like, we're like, so close. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. So it's, it's almost like I, I think of Canada as like an extension of the United States. They probably don't like that, <laughs> right? But I think of it as, as that. And so it's it's close enough. I mean, we, we get enough of their media. We, we're, we've been following this case. In fact, our producer lives in Canada, Joe. And then Francine and I are like, oh, my gosh, this is so big. And Joe is like, wait, what? What's going on? <laughs> like, do you watch the news over there? How is it that we know what's going right, on in Canada? Right. And you don't. I feel like Canada is kind of like an appendage, you know, to the United yeah. States. 100%. <laughs> and and I mean, Mexico like too. That, I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, when right, you, now, like, right I mean, now, probably I'm, not. <laughs> I've created enough businesses in different countries in the Western Hemisphere that I almost think of like every part of North America is uh, uh-huh. almost every company I've worked with, we've had companies in Mexico as well. So, and Canada, but yeah, this is, we're definitely going to be following this because this, because it was so big, there's going to be a lot of learning from this and it's going to be intriguing because this is going to be a case study that that probably is going to be studied in, in universities for food safety. I would imagine. Crazy. Okay. You have some gross, nasty things to share now. So there are some things that were sent to me that are just insane. So one of these is what are what are these? One of these pictures that I received. I'm sorry. When people can't see me, can they? No. I mean, depends on what Joe, our producer, decides to show people. But generally, in a podcast, no, Francine. Sorry. It's um, sorry. you know, <laughs> they just hear us. <laughs> okay, so this is a food safety question that causes concern. 
This is how my roommate thaws frozen beef, unwrapped, floating in the sink. It does not appear that he's cleaned the sink. I'm sure this is massively unsafe. He said this is how he always does it. Oh, well, then, of course, it's, it's correct. It is a square of ground beef. Ground beef? Floating. <laughs> floating. No. Can you look, 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 look. A square of ground beef floating in this oh, this is this is definitely going to end up being a video. Francine. The sink is so gross and disgusting, and this roll of meat, like when it thaws, what is this? Just little little like shreds of ground. You just go yeah. water. Like, oh, oh my god. god! Is that safe, Matt? And why? If 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 yes, why is it? <laughs> if no. If no. Why not? I like I like that you're opening up the opportunity for me to be sarcastic. <laughs> oh man. You know what I like to do is my dog really likes ground beef. And so instead of feeding him ground beef, I'll just let him go up to the counter and just drink the water because now he's got the water and the flavor of beef and some some protein and fat simultaneously. Right out of the sink. While the meat is still there. That's the best. Raw. 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 Yes. Raw. Well, then, you know, <laughs> and then whatever he doesn't eat, you just cook. Oh, yes, of course. No, 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 no. I don't, I don't <laughs> want him to eat the meat. I mean, he may get little pieces of it. But no, no, no. Just the water itself while the meat is floating in there. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> This is so bad. It's, it's 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 like just having floating chicken in there. You know what I like to do then after that too, because I really like taco salad, is just wash my lettuce in that sink afterwards so it can permeate some of that, uh, like through osmosis, some of that beef flavor. <laughs> okay. Um, clearly, this is a problem. We'll provide education here. And then and what was that sink? Okay, so can you show me that picture again? Do you still have it up? It, it's called food in places it shouldn't be. Is that like a, what is that? Like a TikTok like group a, or an Instagram? It's a, I think it's a Facebook group. Food in places it shouldn't be. Why haven't you sent this to me, Francine? This is like good material. That is not good. Please, please, please do not defrost meat in your sink open like that. That is not, not good. So there's that. And then there's, oh my God. Some of the things, I, there's one that says this chicken sandwich is on point. It's raw chicken. Now, whether these are staged or, you know, actually, I don't know. But what it does, what stuff like this does is it puts it out there for people that might not know better and do these things, you know, because people do crazy, crazy things. I, I'm, I'm looking at some of this stuff. This <laughs> This one says about to fry up some chicken in my Maytag. Oh, no. Yeah, I Melissa sent this to me this morning. <laughs> I'd never seen this before. These are just, this says 300 pizza rolls in the dryer. Oh, my, this one's bad. This is food. There's, they have a buffet-type thing set up in a restroom. It, no, in the restroom? There's a hand dryer and two sinks and... It says, I love a nice pile of food in the work restroom. Wow, nice. And it's, well, I mean, it's really efficient. You can get it in and out <laughs> in the same place. And it looks like it's laid out like right on top of like, 
I don't know what that is. It's all mixed together. My God. They blurred out the faces. Right. All right, well, I guess rightfully um, so. I mean, I recommend recommend food in places it shouldn't be as a Facebook group. All right, well, this is going to be good content in the future as well. Uh, yeah, I have another one that is like it's like people's kitchens and stuff where people will go to places you shouldn't eat or something, but it's all homes, or it'll talk about people that make things and how they make them or where they make them. Oh, is this on TikTok? Is this the comedian? No, no, no. This is, no, this is, it's another disgusting like Facebook thing that somebody sent me that like some of it people make up, but some of it's legitimate. Yeah. No, no, 100%. Okay, guys, um, if you have some sort of group like that, that we should be looking at for content, let us know. <laughs> Although I think we'll have plenty with, with just what we have right here, but yeah. All right, well, should we wrap it up? Let's do it. All right, don't eat poop. No poop. Oh, before we, oh, yes. we're going to be at the, we're going to be doing Food Safety Consortium. We're going to be interviewing a bunch of people at that conference. If you want to join us for that conference in New Jersey, um, go to Food Safety Consortium and then use our discount code POOP, P-O-O-P, capital P-O-O-P, big poop, for 15% discount. <laughs> big poop? <laughs> Big poop. It's capital letters. Don't spell big poop. Just capital P O O P. Right. Food safety <laughs> consortium in October. Couple 30, weeks. I believe it is. Yep. We'll be there. Ah. Right. Don't eat poop. <laughs>